you still need some luck. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'm sorry. I, I see people out there. It's not just about working hard. And it's not just about, you know, having the right idea and the right concept. I mean, the stars have to align. They, they really do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. You know, you need some luck at the end of the day. You know, when Zuckerberg started Facebook out of his Harvard dorm room. It was mm-hmm. timing. It was the right team. It was getting the right investment at the right time to take them to the next level and make it scalable. There's a lot of boxes that have to be checked for a business to be successful. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. All right, welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor. Today, I'm honored to have Buzzy Sklar, CEO of Tropical Distilleries, here with us on the show. Buzzy, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us and to talk about your journey in hospitality. Thanks, Steve. Uh, you know, o- always great catching up with you. Yeah, man, I'm glad to have you here. So, you know, we always start. First question, what was your first job in the hospitality industry? I started as a barback slash dishwasher. Wow, where? where? Uh, I was actually at the University of Florida. I was working at a place called Joe's Deli, which was a pretty popular spot way back, and uh, started there, literally washing dishes and barbacking and worked my way up, you know, through, through the uh, business there and wound up bartending by my senior year. Where were you bartending at? Were you at the Swamp? At, at Joe's. No, there, there wasn't the Swamp when I was there. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. I think that was the, <laughs> I think it was still the Purple Porpoise back then. Oh, the Purple Porpoise. I had been there. I went to Florida State, so I got to go down to UF. I, 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 I still love you, Steve, even though you went to Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the, for the listeners, mm-hmm. Buzzy's colors of his company are orange and blue, and he's decked out in his orange and blue still, so it still yes. holds on. So you've had a fun journey. You know, I've, I've kind of seen your journey. How did you then transition? So you've been, you were bartending. How did you end up to where you started owning your actually, business? Uh, I, after college, I was in the uh, the apparel clothing business for, for the bulk of my years before I finally made the move down to South Florida permanently. I was uh, wound up as vice president of uh, merry-go-round stores, which we had about 1,500 stores in the malls. Yeah. Merry-go-round and Chess King and Signal and DJ's. And then we had a uh, boogie's diner, 
which uh, was was a lot of fun. And that sort of launched me, you know, a little bit into that. It was actually, I think that was the last time I had a job mm-hmm. where I didn't work for myself. That one? What was it? Yeah, it was merry-go-round. And that was uh, the mid-90s. Was the last so time. when did you transition? Because you said you had been a writer, right? You were no, uh, I was never a business writer. owner. No, I, I was never a writer. Then uh, made the move permanently down to South Florida. I had a mm-hmm. place out here during the, the heydays in the early 90s when it was a, a ton of fun. And uh, I started a magazine. I, I basically saw what Ocean Drive was doing. And uh, everyone never really read the articles. They went to the shot on site, you know, yep. you know people, <laughs> uh, you know, just out there partying. And I basically started a magazine called Ego Trip, which was a little pocket-sized magazine that fit in your back pocket. And it was just... Basically, uh, the shot on site from from what Ocean Drive did, and it was just pictures of people out there partying. And this was before the internet. Uh, right. So it was, uh, I want to say, 98, 99, and had Alonzo and Tracy Morning on my first cover. That's awesome. And uh, really helped you know launch it. And we did some really cool stuff. It was like Bartender of the Month, Artist of the Month, Model of the Month, because modeling was huge down in South Beach back, you know, back in the day. And uh, did really well, and then launched that in a couple of cities. And was really funny a lot of my advertisers were bars and restaurants and nightclubs and i said wow you know these people could do it i could do it and i opened mm-hmm. up a little rock and roll bar uh, on the wrong side of the street as everyone told me uh on washington avenue in south beach called automatic slums and it became probably at the time one of the more popular spots around you know it lines around the corner for our little 1500 square foot rock and roll bar I was a very coyote ugly, and that was my first foray of ownership. Yeah, I remember it well because it was funny when you had told me that. Like, I was in college, so that time I think I was like a senior in college. So we'd come yeah. down and, and party at Automatic Slims, right? That's where we were going to party on South yeah. Beach. Uh, but you know, I'm always interested. How did you start, right? Because you said you never owned one. You know, yeah. we've talked to some people who had never been an owner of that kind of business. What? How did you get started? How did you find the place? What was that whole journey like? Had the concept first. I really wanted to do something when I start a business and I'd say since then I've been a consummate entrepreneur. I mean, I'll jump out of a plane and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down type of type. (laughs) So as you, you know, we we spoke about this before and when you said you were, you know, getting into that entrepreneurial mindset, I was one of the happiest for you because it's as as great as it is, as stressful as it is, but it's all yours. Right. Well, I basically had the concept of places that I want to go to. I, I sort of use myself as the demographic a lot. And, you know, sometimes it's been great for me and sometimes it hasn't been so great. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm tired of the electronic music and the big clubs and, and all of that. And I just want a place to go have a drink and hang out with, with my friends. And uh, there was no place doing rock music on South Beach at the time. Everyone was mm-hmm. doing you know that early electronic music. And this is when DJ started to come on and. I always loved that coyote ugly mentality. And we did that. We had our girls up on the bar pouring shots in people's mouths and gave it a, a fun, cool look in the design. It looked like an old, uh, you know, roadhouse signs and, you know, brick walls. And, yep. and, and again, I, using myself as the demographic, you know, it, it, it was pretty successful. That's awesome. And so, but you grew it too. It wasn't just one location. Wasn't it multiple yeah, locations? Yeah, we ended up opening our second location in uh, Las Olas in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Much bigger location. Uh, it was a much bigger footprint. And again, it uh, it did great. And then a couple of years later, I, I sold the concept and uh, sort of went back into the uh, clothing business for, for a little bit and uh, wound up doing uh, apparel for hotels and restaurants and nightclubs, all their logoed stuff. 
So it was when the Fountain Blue was opening. I wound up doing all their opening, you know, Fountain Blue T-shirts. And uh, then I opened up an office in Vegas and wound up having MGM Mirage as my biggest customer. So I did everything in their gift shops from the Excalibur at the low end to the mm -hmm. Bellagio at the high end. And we were doing everything domestically. And 2008 you know the world sort of came to an end then as everyone remembers and they decided they wanted to you know do stuff over in china and do you know stuff cheaper and i couldn't compete and i went from being a nine million dollar business one day to zero the next wow yeah. so when you were sitting there when that was happening were yeah. you thinking like what i got what what kind of business you were gonna do next or was i gonna stay in the clothing yeah. and figure it out or what were you yeah, doing it, it's funny i saw sort of what was happening in the world and saw what was going on on south beach and uh wanted to do like an, an every person kind of restaurant. And I came up with the concept for a burger and beer joint. Mm -hmm. And B&B was the first uh, gourmet burger restaurant probably around, you know, not just here, but, you know, anywhere. This is before, you know, your top 42s and before your burger fries and all of that. And, uh, you know, again, rolled the dice and we were very lucky. I thought I was going to be a little million dollar you know, local neighborhood, you know, burger joint uh, with that put a little sports bar in, you know, for selfish reasons, because I wanted a place <laughs> where I could watch a game and, you know, have some good food. And uh, year one, we did over $6 million on a $24 check average. It was nuts. So yeah. for you, I don't think I've told you this. So I was at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel at the time and our director of food and beverage and general manager like, guys, we just found this place just doing burgers, beers really well. Like we got to figure that we need burgers on our menu. <laughs> and we were hanging at your place and enjoying it. I was there all the time. Again, another spot that for the locals was like the place to be. Yeah, we, we got, again, I'm, I'm not anything special when it comes to being a restaurateur. I think I come up with concepts that fill a need and fill a gap. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I never want to, you know, be the follower. I always like to try and be the leader in, in development. Yep. And, uh, again, you know, got, got lucky. It was the right, I think it was the right concept, the right time people traded down all those people that were going to prime one twelve. you know, three nights a week. Now we're yep. only going one night a week because of the way the world was. And they were coming to us those other two nights and we were able to get families, but we were also late night in our sports bar. We kept the kitchen open at five in the morning everyone in the hospitality business it became their hangout yeah and uh and that's how the word of mouth sort of starts you know like from like you said your gm told you guys and you guys come along and we really garnered all the people in hospitality so when people said hey where where do i go to get a good this or where can i go get a good meal or a cocktail and uh the word of mouth was was just phenomenal for us and uh then i got the second one opened in uh mary brickle village mm -hmm. a, year, a year later yep and uh someone offered me to, to buy it out and wanted to open a hundred of them. And uh, I think there are none of them now. <laughs> yeah, there's none. I miss it. You know, we yeah. got to re bring it back. Yeah. But, you know, for the, for the listeners too, you hear some construction noise and we're going to come back to this in, in Buzzy's yeah. story. Cause he's actually building something new that he'll talk to us uh, yeah. pretty shortly about. Yeah. Um, but talking about being in places early, like you were one of the first on Washington Avenue that I remember, yeah. right. You were in sunset Harbor, yeah we, yeah, we were one of those pioneers for that neighborhood. Is that something that you, and, it's, and you're looking like you're doing that now, like, is that something that you've just kind of fell into or you were thinking about it strategically? Like, let's find these up and coming or it was just like, hey, here's the cheapest rent. And it's, it's actually, it. a, 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 that's a great question because I think it's a combination of both. I think we want to mm -hmm. be early in the neighborhood so we're not priced out. Never want to work for the landlord. There's nothing worse than that. 
Um, I find it impossible for some of these businesses that are going into Wynwood today and the numbers that they have to do. You know, I, I go by the old adage, you know, you want to keep your rent at less than 10 percent, you know, occupancy cost. Yep. So to do that, you got to figure out what that rent is going to be uh, or what your mortgage is going to be. And can you make that number? You know, so I'm, I'm, I really stick by that formula. Food, food costs blended with, with liquor, you know, no more than 25 percent. Labor, no more than 25 percent. Like I said, occupancy, 10 percent. So if you could, you know, roll the dice and think you could do those numbers, then 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 great. Um, but, yeah, I like to be early in the neighborhood because of the economics of it. But also, you know, a little bit of the foresight of, you know, can it be cool? Right. That's awesome. So were you owning the places or you were renting the places that you had? Oh, uh, those, those we rented. We, we, yeah. Got it. So then you sold Burger Beer Joint. Looks like you did. You had like a little bit of a hangout time. What were you doing in between your next venture? Then I did a, a deli concept called Hank and Harry's Delis. Yep. And uh, had one that was doing phenomenal. I uh, had one that was doing terrible. And I had mm-hmm. one that was breaking even. So at the end of the day, I was doing 70 hours a week to break even. And that's not fun. No. You know, I just at that point, I cut bait and run. So not everything is always a success. You right. know, and that's, I think, what being an entrepreneur is all about. You know, they always say, you know, uh, I think it was Mike Tyson's quote, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yep. And that was like the same thing. I think I expanded a little too quick. I think uh, we didn't have enough human capital, which in today's world, I think is is the most important thing, building that great team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have that. We opened up too many too quick. And at the end of the day, paid for it. And, uh, you know, you know, took the loss. And but it led me to where we are now. Well, so let me ask you that on Hank and Harris, because Delhi, selfishly, I want more delis in. Miami, Miami Beach area. It doesn't seem like they make it. I was talking to Ben Potts about it because he tried to open up his uh, before in Wynwood and just didn't make it. And then we just saw Dave Grutman's Winker's Diner, which was, wasn't like a true diner, but didn't make it either. What do you think it is? Like, I'm trying to figure it out myself because I feel like there's a need for them, but they just I, don't I, make I, it. It's, uh, I think it's a little bit of the health craze. I think you're very protein heavy. I think your costs are, are, are pretty high. You know, how many times a week are you going to eat a pastrami sandwich? It's true. You know, mm-hmm. I, I ate a lot. Of them. <laughs> I think we, we put out a great product. Uh, I, I think it's it's a shame because, you know, being Jewish and growing up in New York, mm-hmm. you know, Delhi was part of my life. It right. really was. You know, you, you went into, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, went into the city. You know, if you didn't stop at, you know, Stage, Carnegie or or Katz's, it wasn't a trip into Manhattan when I was little. You know, right. so uh, I want to sort of keep the tradition going. And I actually named it after my grandfather and my wife's dad. They were Hank and Harry. And uh, so it was a little sentimental. So closing those was tough. It yeah. was. Yeah, I just think it's a little bit more health conscious now. Uh, I think we were priced right. It just, uh, like I said, it's it, it's always tough. Yeah, it was good. I, I ate the one at South Beach. I, I liked it. And so again, you, you were making places that I enjoyed. Like, I'm your demographic. So Same like... here. You know, I, and, that, and that's why I did it. You know, I wanted to, uh, there really were no delis left. You know, and, mm-hmm. and went, I forget the place on Collins went out, place out of uh, L.A. Yeah, the, the it's now 24-hour Senior one. Yeah. yeah, it's now Senior Frogs. You know, when they went out, they weren't really a traditional deli. Now I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, you, you get up to the plate, you roll the dice. And, and you know what, sometimes uh, sometimes it's a win, but sometimes it's a loss. And you just got to learn by those losses and uh, be willing to get back up again. You know, dust yourself off and get up to bat, you know. Oh, I love it. And, you know, it's funny because I collect, you know, my wife makes fun of me because I have a Pumpernickel's menu from back in the 50s and like a Wolfie's Diner menu yeah. that I collect. I have yeah. all this little like uh, Rascal House, 
Rascal House. I've got that too. Yeah. So it's just funny. I look at all these. I'm like, man, it's got to find the right spot and bring one of these kind of places back. But yeah, I, yeah. I get nervous talking to you and some others that have tried to already. Yeah. All right. So you, you know, Hank and Harry's not the home run. You break even, get it closed. What's the next step in your journey? I always loved hospitality. And it's once it, once you get it in your blood, I'm, I'm sorry you can't do anything else. It, it, it really is. As, as you know, Steve, I mean, I don't have to convince you on that. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's that type of thing. And I always loved the liquor end of the business. Didn't want to be another vodka, scotch, rum. Too hard to compete. I'm sorry. You know, I could have made the greatest vodka in the world. There's no way I'm competing with Tito's. Yep. In Bacardi's backyard. Can't compete with them in, in the rum business. You know, I, I understand the pie's pretty big. But, you know, at the end of the day, to really, you know, compete in that world would have been tough. And in all honesty, I saw what things like Saint Germain did. I saw what uh, Domaine de Canton did in the way of penetrating the market. But I'm not going to lie; I saw what they exited for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still don't know what an elderflower is supposed to taste like. But you know, they sold to Bacardi for 130 million dollars. You know, Saint Germain. Yeah. Um, so I did research for about a year and uh, wanted to be in the liqueur world, and couldn't believe with as popular as a flavor as mango was, and being a homegrown product here in Florida. Uh, no one did one. Mm-hmm. Worked on formulation and worked on uh, getting it out there. And, you know, you can't walk down the aisle of Publix and not see a mango iced tea and a mango this and a mango that. And then White Claw launched and their number one flavor was mango. So decided I'm going to be the first mango liqueur out there. And now, how did that come? How did that epiphany hit you? You were just like sitting at uh, home on the pool, I, sipping I, something I, and said, I need this. I did a boatload of research, Steve. I mean, I really did. And I, I probably walked the aisles of Total Wine a thousand times, just looking and looking and searching. And all right, there's one of this and there's one of that, and that's out there already. And, uh, and that, that's really how, how it happened. You know, a lot of a lot of research, a lot a lot of legwork, a lot of nights on the internet. You mm-hmm. know, you know, waking up at three in the morning and having that idea, and then getting on the internet and like, oh, that's already done. And then, like I said, and then just formulated it. Uh, had a great team that put our packaging together out of Napa. They also do the packaging for uh, some some big wines out there, and and I think we came out with a with a great product. And you guys is one of the early adopters of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, wanted to make something versatile. Didn't want to make something that was just pigeonholed into one cocktail, and you could only use it for that. And, you know, we saw the spritz business coming on big, and realized the American palate didn't like Aperol as much as the European palate. So we were able to garner a lot of the tropical spritz business and our margarita, which is the number one cocktail in the United States. We're now doing mango margaritas and a lot of menus. And I know you guys even use it as a twist on a classic with a mango old fashioned. Yep. No. So a lot. Yeah. The versatility of the product. But again, you know, we ran into some speed bumps. Not everything was, you know, all sunny. We launched in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. You know what happened to the world? I think you and I spoke just before the pandemic. Yep. And then we spoke just as things started opening back up. I, I remember you were, and, and this is one of the things I love about you. You did whatever you had to do at, at the Lowe's. So I want to give you a lot of credit. I, I was there one it. day, you were working the coffee station. Yep. There another day, you were putting out towels at the pool. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, that's what we have to do. We, we do what we have to do to just keep things alive. And it was a tough time for everybody. And uh, we all made it through. And, you know, as a new launch, it's tough because you can't do the tastings and you can't do a lot of the things that you need to do as a new product. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think because I'm going to, you know, tap myself on the shoulder a little bit, I think we made a yeah. great product. And I think that's what helped us make it through. 
Now we're in every total wine in the state of Florida. We're in all public liquor stores. We're in over 1,500 accounts throughout the state. And I guess that sort of led me to where we are today, where you mentioned the construction noise. I'm actually sitting in our offices uh, upstairs here. We're actually at the point of building the first distillery in the city of Miami, believe it or not. As popular as Miami is, no one's really done it. We're, we launched our second flavor, which is our Florida Citrus. Again, an original product. No one's doing a lemon-lime-orange combination. We do everything, mm -hmm. you know, all natural, no preservatives, no artificial flavors or colors. And we actually just uh, crafted America's Craft Liqueur Company. We now own that trademark. We wow. Moved, yeah. So we knew a lot of the liqueurs were coming out of Europe, mm -hmm. whether it's your Cointreau's or your Grand Marnier's, and no one was doing it domestically. And that's where I sort of saw what Tito's did, saying they're, you know, America's Vodka. Um, and people really want to support, you know, and buy American and buy domestic products. So we're hoping to take that foothold as the American craft liqueur company. We have three new flavors that we're launching this year. We have a hibiscus, staying true to our Florida roots. Mm -hmm. We have a, uh, a Cuban espresso, a true cafecito. Nice. I think it's going to be great. And then we have a watermelon because nobody's done watermelon the right way. It always tastes fake. It tastes yeah, like medicine. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't end the way we do it, as you know. Uh, we, we use purees and extracts, and uh, we see the advent of that watermelon martini and watermelon margarita coming on big again. You know, it's incredible how things are cyclical. Like, people are now using our citrus to, as a new version of a, a lemon drop martini. And I never thought a lemon drop martini would ever come back. <laughs> no, it's all cycling back from the or late 90s, early 2000s. It's all yeah. coming back around. I mean, but, you know, I think there's an espresso martini on every menu now. I was shocked to start. So people just started asking for it yeah. at the bars. I was like, well, where is this coming from? It must be on a show somewhere. <laughs> Someone has yeah. seen it somewhere. But I want to come back to what you mentioned because I think it's important for people to know. Right. So I was sitting at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. I get pitched, I don't know, 50 to 100 liqueurs and beers a month. And Buzzy came in as like the master branding. I'd never met Buzzy, but he was decked out just like he is today in his brand right and the jf hayden's mango liqueur brand and he walked in with an orange hat i was like all right this guy is interesting let me find out about him i didn't know you right and then it just it caught my attention then you pulled out your bottle which had a beautiful brand on it you got mentioned it was made in napa right mm -hmm. beautiful label different looking bottle you were like you knew what it needed right mm -hmm. so i think for people out there can you just talk about the importance of branding that you've yeah. done because i just think a lot of people don't get to have this. Oh, here's my liquid. This is why it's important, right? Like you built a story around things. Yeah. That's, Did you talk uh, about that? Like, was that in yeah, your head the whole time? I mean, you're on it. No, I, again, even back to, you know, most of the, the, the places in the business I've had, I was able to put that brand on people's lips and not because I'm, you know, God's gift to marketing. I just, it, it's the devil's in the details in, in anything you do, you know, at, at B and B we used hose clamps from a, from car radiators as, as napkin holders, you know, it's the wow. little touches yeah. and the little details uh, that are important. So when we came up with the Hayden's brand, people are like, well, what's Hayden's? Well, the Hayden Grove was the first grove in Miami in the year 1910 that grew a mango. We tell the story on, on the bottle. And I think you need that story in, in today's world to go along with your great product and your great packaging and the marketing behind it. People want to know the story, uh, especially when you're a, a craft beverage. There, there's got to be something behind it, like you said, besides just great juice, because, you know, there's a lot of great products out there. 
but what's mm-hmm. going to set you apart from everybody else? And that's why, you know, it took a long time to come up with the, the name and the story and the brand. And, and now, even though the Hayden Grove Rue Mango, now it's equated with a quality liqueur. And that's why we use the Hayden name for the entire line of liqueurs. I love it. And so now you were building your brand up. You had somebody making your mango liqueur, right? And now you've decided, I'm going to make it myself, yes. right? In my distillery. Yes. How does that come about, right? Because that's now a whole different business, right? One from yeah. making one product to saying, I'm going to have an establishment. I'm going to make my own. I'm going to build a team. How does yeah. that start taking shape? I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, sat down with my partners who happen to be uh, also Gators. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both played on the uh, OA championship team with Tim Tebow. They were NFL All Pros. The Pouncy Twins, Mike, played for the Dolphins. Marquise played for uh, the Steelers. Yep. yep best partners uh, anyone could ask for. Um, we sat down and we said, hey, we see what's going on with the supply chain. We see how tough it is to get on other people's line doing a third party. Um, we've got a lot of business now we're doing. We have uh, the cruise lines coming up. Uh, we're working you know, with more hotels and bigger hotels and our drink lists and you know, trying to expand our product line. Plus Miami's hot. Again, the light bulb goes off and says, hey, if we could control our production ourselves, mm-hmm. If we can put bodies through here that people are going to pay us to now market our brand by doing tours and buying product in our retail store here. And lastly, being able to lower our cost of production. So it checked a lot of boxes for us. And lastly, I couldn't believe no one in Miami's ever had, you know, done it. Yeah, I'm so, shocked. So yeah. the, the, the tourist capabilities that we're going to be able to have, we already are working with uh, Royal Caribbean to be an official offshore excursion working mm-hmm. with the hotels and the concierges to put a program together to bring people over. You know, we said, Hey, I, I think it's worth it. You know, a lot of people are like, well, okay, why don't you just put the money in and open more States? I mean, we want to own Florida. You know, that, that's really our, our biggest thing is if we own Florida, everything else is easy. Got yep. to own our home state, rolled the dice on it, you know, found a great building in uh, Alapata, which again, we look at as an up and coming area, five blocks West of Wynwood, mm-hmm. uh, not paying those crazy Wynwood prices. We have the Rubel Museum, which is one of the hottest things. Like during Art Basel, it was the epicenter for Art Basel for a lot of big events. We have Hometown Barbecue down the block that moved down here from uh, from Brooklyn. So we see this as the next neighborhood, as we spoke of before, where we have an ability to become a destination early on and then watch the neighborhood grow around us. I think that's awesome. Yeah, you've talked, you've done it at every place you've been. So that's why I wanted to tie the story through is you did it again. Right. And so well, we haven't knowingly or unknowingly, we're, but you're we're there. Under, we're, we're under construction. So it's yeah. a, we, we, we can't check the, the Bach of success yes, uh, yet, but, but, but you know, the right we, neighborhood. Yeah, I think we're in the right neighborhood. The nice thing is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we get to make our own stuff. If I get a call tomorrow from the Lowe's or the Fountain Blue or Royal Caribbean or Carnival or Virgin and says, hey, I need a pallet. You know, we have the I don't have to wait three, four weeks to get on somebody else's line. With as hot as Miami is, I think we're going to put a lot of people through here as a mm-hmm. top tourist destination in Miami-Dade County, which would now when they go back to Ohio and they see it on the shelves there, it's going to emote that great, you know, that great time they had on vacation. So, you know, we're really looking at it as a, as it's checking a lot of boxes for us and, and worth the investment. And at the end of the day, that's what you have to weigh out. Is it worth the investment to do it ourselves or continue to do it third party? And so now as you're building the distillery, how did you find, you have a great master distiller, right? Yep. How did you find 
her to be on the team, right? And that's unique to say. Well, right? We've got a great team in general, you know. So Devin is our master distiller. She came from uh, Woodford Reserve, uh, one of the mm -hmm. only uh, female master distillers in the United States. Yep. We have our director of marketing, Mike, who I, I think you met also. You know, it, it, you know, it's building the right culture. You never want to be the smartest in the room because then you're the dumbest, especially when mm -hmm. you, you own your company. You want people that have skills that you don't have that can really just uh, – add to the team, add to the, you know, add value to your company. And yeah, we got really lucky with, with all of our hires so far. That's awesome. And so now in opening this, right, I'm always curious. So I've worked in a lot of big places. I've opened big places, but never my own. As you open up this new location, what are some of the challenges you faced? Maybe you already knew they were going to come because you've done it a couple of times. Is there something different this time around being in a different neighborhood? I think it's a different world now mm -hmm. from when I opened my last place. You know, there's your pre-pandemic world and your post-pandemic world. Um, again, I just have to thank our governor for keeping our state open or else I'd probably be out of business right now. You know, when the pandemic first hit, you know, before we even met our, our second time, you said, hey, let, let me get back. Open. Yeah, you know, back I, I was up in the panhandle where things were wide open and you can't go to a place in Panama City Beach that doesn't carry our stuff and we're not on a, on a cocktail menu. So basically had to shift our gears a little to where we wanted to really roll the product out and got very lucky that we were in Florida because if I was probably in any other state, I we wouldn't be having this conversation, wouldn't be in business right now. But I think the challenges we're going to run into are human capital. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're putting a pretty fun project together uh, and it's a fun business. So hopefully we're going to be able to you know, do some cool stuff like with our cocktail classes that we're going to do and, and things like that. And people are going to want to work here. But we're not at that point yet. We're hiring up. We're probably still about 60 days out from opening. So probably 30 days out when we're going to start that process. And yep. it's from what I see anywhere and everywhere. It's it's not easy. But, you know, like I said, hopefully people really want to, you know, do something fun and make yep. some money doing it. And uh, I think that's what we're doing is you know trying to build that culture from top down of, you know, just having some fun while working. Yeah. And just being around the hotels, I've seen it. People want to choose a place where they're going to enjoy their day that they're going to make good money because now people are paying up for the talent, yep. right? So if you get that combination of good pay, a fun place to be, they feel like they're building something, I think you're going to have a home run. Um, From your mouth to God's ears. You know, yeah. a lot of places that are not doing it, right? Still staying low wage, tons of openings, team yeah. is struggling, people hopping off. So yeah, you think, you, you think you'll do great. You know what you're doing. Yeah, but you know what? You, you still need You still need some luck. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'm sorry, I, I see people out there. It's not just about working hard and it's not just about, you know, having the right idea and the right concept. I mean, the stars have to align. They, they really do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. You know, you need some luck at the end of the day. You know, when Zuckerberg started Facebook out of his Harvard dorm room. It was mm -hmm. timing. It was the right team. It was getting the right investment at the right time to take them to the next level and make it scalable. There's a lot of boxes that have to be checked for a business to be successful. And like, you know, I'll mention, I'll go back to, you know, burger and beer, B and B, you know, people see, you know, two hour wait for a burger and a long line, you know, but they don't realize that 280 people on payroll that I had to make every week. That's nuts. Yeah. I didn't know you had that many. <laughs> oh, no, I would, the, yeah, yeah. Quick, funny story. Yeah. I, never, I never locked the doors there, Steve. We never locked the door. Literally from, we opened for lunch at 11, ran mm -hmm. our lunch shift, ran a dinner shift, closed the restaurant part at midnight, had the sports bar part open at five in the morning. By the time they closed out, 
cleaning crew was in there. By the time the cleaning crew was done, our prep team was in there. Never set the alarm. Never locked the door at B&B during my entire time owning it. So, yeah, uh-huh. we have got a lot of people on payroll. We still have, you know, rent to make every month, you know. So people just see the the glamour, but they don't see everything else that, that goes with it, you know. You know, but at the end of the day, the nice thing about this is, you know, we are our own manufacturer. So we have the manufacturing part of it. We, we feel very confident that we can put bodies through here, both locals and tourists, for a great experience. We actually mm-hmm. don't even really call it a distillery. We call it the Tropical Distillers, you know, Experience Center. Nice. So you know, and now with the new craft spirit laws here in the state of Florida, you know, we could act as a bar of anything that we make. Um, we could actually sell you a bottle out of our retail store. So we're a liquor store, we're a bar and a manufacturing facility all at the same time. So as part of the experience, that's what I wanted to kind of wrap up on a little bit is I believe people are creating the best experiences will win. What will the experience be like? Have you kind of formulated that yet? Are you still thinking about it as you? Yeah, I, th- I think we through? sort of have it in mind. Uh, we definitely want to do some great tours and give people some knowledge and uh, give people, you know, not just a tasting of one of our things. And you know, during our tours, you're going to be able to taste five different products, really yep. zone in on what you like. We're also going to have specialty cocktail lists. So whichever product you like, now you could actually grab a cocktail of. In the evening, instead of just acting like a bar, even though we can, we want to bring a great experience. Like we saw how well these painting by the the, the numbers classes are doing. I mean, I can't right. believe how many people are going to do that. So we want to do more cocktail classes. You know, come in and learn how to make the perfect mojito and leave with a cocktail kit that you go home with. You know, that now when people are over the house, you can now make that one drink and it's going to be perfect. And we want to be able to bring those kind of experiences in. Uh, not to mention, we're going to be a great event space. We're going to, you know, do some things that are kind of fun, whether it's stand-up comedy one night. Uh, we're going to have great food trucks that are all local food trucks. Uh, don't want to ever be in the restaurant business again, so we're going to <laughs> lean that way a little bit. Um, and, and just again, do something different for Miami, and, and not different for the sake of being different. Being first allows us to be different and really set the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's some great breweries around in Wynwood. I think there's about four or five of them now. Yeah, there's distilleries. So again, being at the forefront, being the first, allows us to sort of write the manual on how it's going to be done. I love it. And so for people who are starting out, right? So they want to start. You know, li- liquor, liqueur business is tough. Distillery is tough to get started. A restaurant or a bar. You've done all different things. A clothing company. For someone who just wants to start, what would you tell them is the best way to start doing something? Don't give up. You know, you're going to have so many people. I'll never forget when I opened up Slims. Ah, it's the wrong side of the street. Rock and roll music. Everyone's playing electronic music. It's it's never going to work. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Have conviction in your ideas. That That's the most important thing. Have the conviction and have the balls to just follow through. You know, literally everybody comes up with a great idea every day. They really do. Everyone's like, Oh my God, I had, how many times have you sat around, Steve, and you heard people like, I had that idea three years ago. <laughs> yep, all the what'd time. You, but what'd you do about it? Right. And that's really the whole thing is, you know, taking it from here to the piece of paper that you wrote it down on to fruition is the difference between someone that's going to make it and not make it. And you know what? It might that, that one idea might fail. And the next idea might fail. I think Gordon Ramsay's first seven restaurants went under. Now he's one of the top highest paid chefs in the world. Right. With everything. Yeah. So it's just the conviction of following through and taking it from idea to fruition. And I think, look, that's a great place to end our conversation because Buzzy, I just, 
I watched you, right? And so I've seen you now over the last almost three years that I've been talking yeah. to you, right? Where he came in, brand new bottle, brand new product. And I was just, I was like, all right, he's going to make it. And I saw you hustle all the way across the state. You, not a sales guy, like you were at these places making it happen. And it just shows what it really takes is people aren't willing to to do what it takes to be ultra successful. And I, I watch you do it. And I'm excited for this because I think that you're going to blow up. You're one of the early adopters. So I, I thank you. Seriously. Yeah. And, and I really thank every single person out there that, you know, has helped us and partnered with us along this journey, because that's what it really is, is, you know, when you're, when you're launching a business, it's, it's building great partners along with a great team and, and, and all that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to work hard and, and you're finding that out now. I mean, uh, you're mm -hmm. probably one of the hardest working guys now in the hospitality business. I know you're into a bunch of different things and I'm super happy that you took the foray into entrepreneurship. Yep. And, I'm excited. Uh, forward to doing a lot of great things together. I appreciate you. So, Buzzy, if somebody wants to connect with you, what are the places they can connect with you to learn more about what you got going on? Uh, really simple, buzzy at tropicaldistillers.com. My personal email, um, I answer every one of them. They could always stop by the distillery in about 60 days. Uh, you could follow us on social media with Tropical Distillers or JF Hayden's on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And, yeah, definitely stop by and have a cocktail with me. I'm coming by. I want to see it pre and post. So I'm going to be by either this week or next. I'll send you a message. Uh, but for everyone, everyone listening, do yourself a favor. Head to your local Total Wine. Get a bottle of JF Hayden's mango liqueur. You won't regret it. And citrus. They have citrus. And citrus there. now, too. There you go. So yeah. get the combo. Do your yeah. little taste test at home. Yeah. Uh, but you won't regret it, especially from someone who has the heart and the care for their product. Thank I you. appreciate you, Buzzy. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Steve. And thanks for being on the podcast.